Welcome to The Square, your podcast from the Iowa League of Cities, bringing you current and important topics from the communities across the state to your city's square. With your host, Mickey Shields, the Assistant Director of Membership Services at the Iowa League of Cities, and Bethany Cryle, the League's Communication Coordinator. Our hosts bring you topics that matter to your town square. Hey, Bethany, we're back for another episode of The Square. Can you believe it? Our second one. They let us do this again. <laughs> they clearly haven't listened to the first one. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hopefully we learned our lessons in the first one. I will say that this is only our second one, folks, so we still need all of your patience and then some as we uh, find our voices and develop mm-hmm. this podcast. For but sure. it is exciting. We've got a lot of great stories to share in this podcast and the, and the ones to come. Um, a couple quick notes that we want to kind of run through here. First of all, we got to explain the square. It is only the second episode, so I think we still need to tell folks how we arrived at uh, the yeah. title. Well, it took us a while to get there. We ran through a lot of titles that didn't fit. My favorite title that didn't make the cut was um, was Akalita's Wingle. Uh, clearly, you heard me just say that. That's probably one of the reasons it didn't make the cut. It's really hard to say. <laughs> it's really hard to say Akalita's Wingle, but a couple f- of yes. great communities in Iowa. Yes, A to well, Z, so to speak. A to Z of the cities in Iowa. But anyway, it didn't make the cut. It's hard to say. But what was your favorite one that we didn't use? I like that one. I think we had another that was kind of unique. Like every city has a park mm-hmm. as a way to just say, like, this is what cities do. Yeah. And um, that even though cities are really different, they right. share a lot. And yeah. Yeah. yeah that would have been a fun one. a couple of one. interesting ones, too. We had a whole board full of them. We did. Cities Inc. Mm-hmm. Cities Strong, Strong Cities. Yeah. Yeah. So we tried. All sorts of different stuff. The funny thing is, a bunch of them were already taken. Yes. Apparently, just think of what you would have called the League podcast and go out there and listen to those because they sound really interesting. And Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure some of our State League friends are doing those as we speak, and <laughs> hopefully they're having as much fun as we're having. Yeah. So why did we call it the square? So the main thing is every town has a square, and every square has a story, and so we want to share those stories and take them to your square all around the state of Iowa, all of our cities out there. Mm -hmm. And um, as always, if you have any stories to share with us that you want to put on this podcast, we're going to interview some folks, send those into the square at iowaleague.org. And we'll consider that. We're uh, trying to build a a big audience. And I think the best way to do that is to get those unique stories from our cities. Right. Well, that's sort of um, what today's podcast is all about, is telling stories from cities so should we should we hop in yeah this is going to be a a really fun podcast because as some of our listeners may or may not know we do all-star community wars each year which is a big part of our celebration at annual conference our Mm -hmm. annual conference and exhibit Mm -hmm. which is september 12th through the 14th in council bluffs Um, so actually what five weeks away it's five weeks away from when we're recording this yeah maybe four weeks away from when you're listening actually yeah yeah (laughs) depending on when we get this thing out uh, but it's a big event, and it's the way we celebrate city achievements, great projects, great work. There are, are so many important things being done um, in cities all across the state, and we have cities have applied for this award each year. It's a big honor for them, mm-hmm. and it's a great way to see all those important uh, and successful efforts at the local level, and then we to award them in three different categories is, right. is, is really important for our membership and for the League of Cities. Yeah, and those three categories are population categories. So when we talk about these today, we'll talk about the winners in the fewer than 3,000, 3,000 to 10,000, and 10,000 plus categories. And 
Um, I think to this year's projects are really interesting because almost any of those uh, projects could have been done by any of those those cities. Sometimes, you know, we think that big cities and small cities um, aren't necessarily tackling the same things, and and um, they they kind of are sometimes too. Yeah, so, they really yeah. are. In, in big city or small city or in between, a lot of them are facing the same challenges. And this is beyond awarding these great cities and the, the folks that are working hard in these towns is to show others mm -hmm. how they could perhaps challenge or tackle those same challenges in their communities. So it's a great, great program. We, we love doing it every year. And any it's cities out there listening to this, if you're interested, if you're doing good work, we know you are. We do applications each spring. Actually, the if you uh, have a project that you know you've already completed in 2018, the 2019 application is online on the league's website already. So uh, 2019 awards will be given for projects completed in 2018 calendar year. So you can already go out there and apply if your city, we're halfway through the year, so if your city may have already done and accomplished some awesome things, you can go out and apply right now. That's right. And one other thing that we do that's fun with this whole uh, process is we award the three cities in the three categories, as Bethany mentioned, but we also take the other applicants and put them into a fun pool for a People's Choice Award. So it's actually a bracket, and they kind of go against each other head-to-head, -head, and then we announce the winner of that challenge at the annual conference, at, at our uh, uh, awards banquet. Yeah, and that competition starts uh, August 13, so maybe has already started. Um, and you can just go on Facebook and check out the album from the week, like your favorite project. Um, you'll see the bracket on there, so they're head-to-head. -head. It's kind of like a March Madness style uh, bracket. So they're head-to-head, -head, so you can like more than one photo um, in the album. And whoever gets the most likes in that week's album will move on to the next week. And um, yeah, the last... The, the last votes um, will be counted. Well, the voting will end on the Thursday of the conference and we'll announce mm -hmm. the winner at that awards banquet at where we'll also celebrate um, the other winners who are selected by judges um, knowledgeable about city government. But right. yeah, it's exciting. And it's I think it's a really fun way to just highlight the awesome things that cities are doing and hopefully um, get other cities thinking about the fun things that they could do and maybe replicate some of these or think about, you know, how their city could accomplish some of the same goals even in a different way. Yeah. And one thing I'll say, having done this a couple of years now, and Bethany can attest to this, it takes a lot of votes and likes to win that bracket challenge. So yes. not only, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are city folks, but tell your citizens, tell your neighbors, tell your friends, your family, if you want your city to win, you got to get out there and like and I think it's fun, even if your city isn't in the competition, to participate because I think, you know, seeing that cities are doing really fun and cool things helps get all cities excited mm -hmm. um, about each other. So, yeah. yeah, it's good. Yeah. It's a good so thing. So it's a little more competitive than the league office pool for NCAA, the NCAA <laughs> tournament. Yes. Who's the reigning champion? I can't remember right now. I don't know. It's not me. I know that much. I know. And you try so it. hard. <laughs> I have like 10 sheets going each year, so it's always hard to remember what I even picked. But yes, all I know is I've never won the, the, the title in the office. Well, something to, to work towards, Mickey. Yeah, just need to watch more basketball. Life goals. Hashtag yeah. life goals. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So today's podcast is going to be about these All-Star Community Award winners from this year. We have some outstanding projects to cover. Mm -hmm. Bethany hit the road this summer to go out and talk to some of the folks in these communities that were part of these projects and help see them through. Mm -hmm. So we're going to hear some of those interviews. And Bethany, you want to share a little bit, give a little preview on what 
we might be hearing today? Yeah, so we're just going to go through today and we'll talk about each of the projects. So um, Marion's Uptown Artway won in the 10,000 plus population category. Uh, Bondurant's uh, Porch Swings and Fireflies uh, art installation in their Gateway Park one in that 3,000 to 10,000. And then in the fewer than 10,000 population, we have Lisbon, and they did a really cool solar project. So we'll talk about each of those. I think you and I can run down what each of the projects uh, are and, and kind of give an overview, and then we'll take a little break and kind of talk more about the projects and the themes that emerged. And Sure. Yeah. So let's get started with Marion, which, as you said, won in that 10,000 mm -hmm. and over population. And this is actually their second consecutive year winning. So last year, Marion also won um, for their uh, an amphitheater project. So interesting right. fun fact about Marion there. Yeah. Great community in eastern Iowa. Yeah. My brother-in-law lives over there, and he's a teacher in the Linmar School District. So I'm sure he'll be very proud to hear that they're a two-time Winner now, winner. yeah. Yeah, it's exciting. So their project was really cool. They're doing some public art installations, mm -hmm. it looks like, and it's part of a, a larger effort to bring new life to their big commercial district. Yeah, and let's listen. Um, I, I talked with Jill Ackerman. She's a chamber president. Uh, Mike Barkalo, he's the city engineer, and Amanda Kaufman, she's the deputy city administrator, and they're just kind of sharing what the project means um, to them or is to them. Let's take a listen to that and hear a little more. Uptown Artway is a, um, it's an alley project that houses um, nine uh, pieces of public art. Um, it's a project that costs just right at a million dollars and has been a huge catalyst for economic development in our community. I don't know if I would add much to that. I mean, that, that, that's just a really cool project when you get done. I mean, yeah, there's some headaches along the way, but you look at it now. And, yeah. It's very beautiful. How about you, Amanda? Um, well, I, I think the success of this project and the uniqueness of uh, this placemaking project um, really shows that no idea is too crazy for a city to actually um, accomplish. They've got <laughs> the, you know, the buy-in and the support of the community, and everybody's moving in the same direction. So. Mm -hmm. so I don't know if you heard that, that but they turned an alleyway essentially into a public art space, which I think is really was really creative. And they did it because they knew that on the front side of those businesses, they were going to be doing a street improvement. Um, and they were just saying, how can we make sure that these businesses in their uptown district survive during that? They, um, you know, cities all across the state are, are doing main street improvements and those businesses sometimes suffer um, during those. And so someone just suggested, well, they're going to be using their back alleys why don't you take advantage of that space? And so businesses granted easements or sometimes permanent public access to let them do that. And they have nine pieces of art in there. And it's pretty, it's pretty cool. You should go see, buy some chocolate at the chocolate store and, hmm. and have some fun. Yeah. yeah. Next neat. time we're over there, I'm sure we will. And as we were saying before, I think that's a project that a lot of cities could replicate, big and small. You talk right. about alleyways that need they're underutilized mm -hmm. and could use a little lift or some some way to bring life to it this is a fantastic way i mean public art is become has become uh, a real big uh, deal for cities to to right. bring different folks to town and and celebrate your current uh, uh, infrastructure so that's a great project for sure yeah well and they are talking about doing more even in that space so um 
maybe the city's thinking about hiring an events coordinator. Uh, like I mentioned, they had a, a project last year that was an amphitheater project. And so hiring an events coordinator that can help with programming there, programming in the alley. Um, some of the businesses that are adjacent to that have brought in musicians and stuff, but they really want to take advantage, full advantage of that. And so, you know, to do that, they're doing that. That was one of the tips that they gave was to other communities to think, you know, don't just think about what we want right now, but now think about two years after it's been established, what are we going right. to want? And, and think about that in the budget. But I think that mm -hmm. that's really awesome. And their citizens are even saying, can we make this, can we grow this? Can we do this in more of the alleys and make it a longer stretch um, of back alley, which I think is really fun and exciting. And yeah. then the other thing I wanted to point out about this project is that um, they t I talk about this in the Cityscape article that that this is a really unique public space. It's not really a park. It's not really an alley. And so they kind of had to work with their business community and with their police department to say and and to create a new ordinance and create a new kind of term for what this space is because it's not a park and it's not an alley. Um, and so to just talk about, you know, what is allowed use back there. Um, and so that was something that they, they kind of had to do towards the end of the project that they were like, oh, yeah, we really we need to make sure people are following the rules, but we have to come up with the rules first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. yeah, you might need to let people know the expectations. Right. First. Yeah, it's usually a good idea. Yeah, exactly. Right. Let's move on to the category of less than 3,000 in population, Perfect. which is the city of Lisbon. Yeah. They won the award. It um, sounds like they did some really interesting solar installations at, at city buildings, and it actually led to some significant cost savings, right? It did lead to significant cost savings. And oddly enough, theirs was also kind of a city ordinance, was started with a city ordinance um, and a citizen. And I talked with uh, Connie Meyer. She's a city uh, administrator and clerk there as well as the mayor in that community and I'll kind of let her um, explain how it came to be. We have been looking into um, solar panels for quite a while but the process just never um, came about and then we did have a resident here in Lisbon that put um, solar panels in, wanted to put solar panels in his yard and at that time our ordinance only allowed for them to be on the roof. So we went through a process um, changing the ordinance to allow him to put them um, on the ground. And during that process, we realized, you know, we've been wanting to do this for a long time. So we um, looked into the company that he was using and talked to them and had them come to the city hall, explain to them what we were interested in, and he gave us some um, ideas of what we can and, and, and couldn't do. So it kind of evolved from there and grew, and the whole council was on board, was very interested in it. And um, then we learned after that um, that we didn't have to come up with money up front. So once we knew that, then we decided to proceed with the, the process. So I love that this project started essentially as a resident idea. I mean, he didn't come to his city and say, I think you should do solar panels. He said, I want to do solar panels. And the city was like, yeah, us too. <laughs> um, I think that that's really cool. Uh, that's one of the really cool things about, about this project. And they're saving. They plan this year to save uh, probably close to $9,000. So Lisbon is a, com a community of like 2,100 people. That's like five and a half bucks a person or four and a mm -hmm. half bucks a person. If you like did the math, which I'm really bad at math, so don't check me on that. But uh, <laughs> if, you if you did the math, I think it would come out to about that, which that's a really huge and significant cost savings for, for a community of that size. And as I was talking with Connie, 
when they were talking to their citizens about this, they were really upfront about this is the cost savings. And when we save this money, we can put it into our streets because they knew they had street improvements that they needed to do. And so they were able to say, here's the way we're going to save money and here's how we're going to use the money, which I think for residents is a really good tie in to say we see these solar panels and this is what we're getting because we have them. So mm -hmm. I think that was a really wise kind of way to talk about it in their community as well. Right. Those are some good lessons. And it sounds like it's just sort of a win, win, win project. You have the city doing it and it's a better use of energy, mm -hmm. leads to savings in, in dollars, real dollars, mm -hmm. which then can translate to using those resources to other places around the city. Mm -hmm. uh, so it helps the budget. It's a good idea to help yeah. reduce energy, but also it incorporates what a citizen wants. Mm -hmm. And if one citizen wants it, you can bet that others do too. Well, that is true. So Connie had said that since since the city has installed, a couple more people have installed solar panels on their private property and even more are looking into it. And the reason when the citizens do it, they are having to purchase their equipment up front. And um, one of the citizens said he'd probably start to see savings in like year eight. The reason that Lisbon is seeing savings immediately is because they don't actually own the solar panels. They have a power purchase agreement with a company who owns the panels, maintains the panels. And then um, Lisbon just buys back the power at a much lower rate than they were getting from their power right. company. Um, but doing it that way has also given them, I think it's like a 25 or 30 year contract. It's given them great um, stability over over the years in budgeting. Sure. They know how much they're going to be paying for their power right. for the next 25 years, which right. most of us can't say that. So Yeah, no kidding. Well, it's something I think a lot of cities could look into and benefit from as well. So it's a great project, not only for... Lisbon, but it, for other cities out there uh, around that size or even smaller, mm -hmm. could do something similar. Yeah, and you had mentioned the chain reaction. Connie and I kind of talked about that uh, too. And let's take a listen to what she I said. I think it's uh, once it starts somewhere, it just kind of chain reaction and it keeps going. So I, we're hoping that a lot of other cities will take part in it too. So I really liked when Connie was talking about the chain reaction and the other cities taking part of it, that's one of the reasons that we started this podcast was to share city ideas. That's one of the reasons we do the All-Star Community Awards. So I'm really glad that we can share their project and hopefully um, help other cities kind of see the benefits there. And both Connie and Mayor O'Connor from Lisbon are really, really passionate about this. Um, and so if you have any questions about their process, I know they would be happy to answer them. Sounds good. So let's move on to the 3,000 to 10,000 population category where the city of Bondurant was recognized as the winner for its new interactive entrance to the community, right? Yeah, it's an interactive entrance to the community. It's a welcome sign and so much more. And I think really that's kind of the point that it's hard to describe. It is an interactive arts installation in the city's most visible intersection right along Highway 65 um, that sits in their gateway park. Um, it's called Porch Swings and Fireflies, and it's actually about 10 porch swings that you can sit on and swing. And then there's a really awesome firefly element that's done with the lighting. It's especially cool at night. Um, when I went to Bondurin, I talked with several people who were involved with the project, including Jen Keeler. She's a council member, and she sat on the Arts and Recreation Committee for Bondurant Community Development, which was the group that kind of spearheaded the whole project. Um, and she sort of describes what this project means to her. Let's take a listen. I just, I love that it's that welcoming, inviting, but it's also interesting and different. It's not what you'd expect a little town north of the metro area to have. It, it does set us apart, and that's exactly what we were looking for. And I do love coming by it at night. I just, I, the fireflies are my absolute favorite part of the whole thing, and it just, 
I love that it works. I love that it turned out that way. And I, I like driving by and seeing people sitting on the swings and using it. Mm -hmm. It just makes me really happy because I never ever saw a soul when it was in its old state. And so I, I do think we, we've, we have improved on not only it, but it, it, it does mean different things to different people and it, it is inviting to people that, that are coming to Bondurant. So this project was a huge collaboration. Like I mentioned, the Bondurant Community Development Foundation, the city, and then they even had students. They were a huge piece um, of this project. They helped design the artwork that goes on each of those porch swings, and that sort of tells the story of Bondurant's history and where they are now and where they want to be in the future. And um, I have a clip here from Christian Vandahar. He's the high school art teacher that worked with those students on that. He was uh, in charge of the art senior seminar that did it. Um, and yeah, and let's just take a listen to what he has to say too, because it was a really big, really big piece of this. They did an RFP, which is a request for a pro proposal, um, which is typical in the design field. And they gave it to us. I presented it to the students. The students kind of took it. They weren't sure how to handle it. Um, I gave them a timeline. It was a really fun project to work on because it was something real. They actually had to present in front of a committee and this was old, this was gonna be out there. So it set the standard pretty high. And I remember their first uh, presentation, none of the designs were in the proportions of uh, what we were looking for. And so I remember I had to be pretty hard on them at first <laughs> because I was like, none of these will fit on a porch swing that they said in the RFP. And so then they realize, oh, you know, I'm going to look like, you know, I, I don't want to look like a fool in front of everyone. So they really buckled down. They worked together as a group. It was a great collaboration. I broke them into, I think, four or five different groups. And they had to present 10 different designs for their porch swings that they would have. And it was so awesome to see, okay, what is Bondurant from their perspective? What are the icons? What are the things that they think of? Um, and how do you represent them? It was really fun to listen to him talk about the process. And as he was doing it, uh, he said it was addictive because he's a great educator and he wants his students to continue to have real world experiences. Um, and so that was a huge piece of this for Bondurant um, was talking about that collaboration and how all of the people in the community kind of work together. And um, uh, so I really think that if you don't get a chance to drive by it on Highway 65, this is a really neat project, as are all of them. And there are photos of all of these on our Facebook page. So you can take a look there. There are photos along with the articles in Cityscape Magazine. Um, but yeah, the, a lot of these are just so visual that it's super hard to describe them on a podcast. You really yeah. have to see them to, to get it. I have had the pleasure of seeing this out in Bondurant, and it is tremendous. I've never seen anything like it. Traveling to state, doing this job for League of Cities, I've had the pleasure of going to every single county and countless cities, and there's so many great entrances, yeah. but this might set the new standard. Yeah, it's well, and incredible. An, and another big piece of it is that the trail uh, runs by it. So they took kind of an offshoot of the, I think it's the Chachaqua Trail that goes through it, and that will continue um, on, and it's going to end up being like a 30-mile loop between Bondurant and Altoona. And so, you know, it'll be a destination for people that people can see while they're driving along Highway 65, but it'll also be great for bicyclers to top, stop and take a break and um, do that. Yeah, it'll be a, I think it's going to continue to be a really cool destination, especially as they get that trail finished for, yeah. for bicyclers. So many wonderful elements with that project. Yeah, So should sure. we 
get into our question. Oh, yeah. Are we going to take a break? Let's and do that. Do our Your Questions Answered segment? Let's do it. Okay. What so do we got? You can send us your questions by, uh, you can email them to the square at iowaleague.org and Mickey will answer them or you can leave or us. Or Bethany. <laughs> That's a lot of pressure. Or you can um, call us and tell us that you want to leave a question for the square and we can just take that in a voicemail and you can hear yourself on on the next episode of the square. But this this month's question is, are mayors allowed to vote? We get this question a lot. Yeah. So what is the answer, Mickey? Yes, we do get this question frequently, and the answer is it depends. And that's why <laughs> we get the question so frequently. For the vast majority of cities, probably about 97%, your mayor is not allowed to vote. And those cities that wah, I'm referring wah, wah. to, I'm sorry, yes, sorry <laughs> to be the bearer of bad news, but I'm referring to cities with a mayor-council form of government where you have an odd number of council members. So pretty much every city in Iowa that law is going to apply to you. The mayor is not allowed to vote, not even to break a tie. There are a handful of cities out there that have a different form of government, perhaps the council manager form, the special charter form, home rule charter form. There's different forms. There's not very many cities that use them. In some of those cases, the mayor is allowed to vote. My hometown of Iowa City is an example. They have the council manager form. The mayor is a member of the council and is elected from within the council, not by the people, the citizens. There are, there are seven council members, technically speaking, but the mayor is elected from within that council, but the mayor does have the ability to vote as a council member. So that's pretty unique. I'm sorry to say, most of you mayors out there uh, in our cities in Iowa, you're not allowed to vote. But it really depends. It really does depend. Well, I will say this as well. The mayor can veto a resolution or ordinance. So you still have some <gasps> legislative power. You're not just The plot a... thickens. You can't <laughs> vote, but you can veto. That's right. So that is this month's question. Of, can, can I ask a follow-up question? You certainly can. Do mayors veto very often? I think it's another one that it depends greatly <laughs> on the city. I would say in my experience, it's pretty rare. And most of the time, the mayor does not do that. The council can override the mayor's veto with a two-thirds vote of the council after the veto has been completed. So there is a way. It's, it's a lot like what you see at the, the federal level the cong that in Congress where you can override a veto. So it, there is that possibility, but it is pretty rare. Yeah, I can see why that would be. I mean, it would be, it would be hard to all be on the same page and get along well if the majority of your council who represents your community says no or yes, then you're mm -hmm. like, no. I'm going to disagree. I get yeah, it. Sometimes politics, you just never know. You just never know. Okay. Well, thanks for answering our question, Mickey. Please My do, pleasure. Please do send <laughs> us questions that we can answer next time. That's right. So let's move on to our next segment here. We'll get back into these stories yeah. with our All-Star Community Award winners. And we're going to break these down a little bit in this next segment, kind of by these some themes that we identified that ran through each of the three winners. And one of the ones that was actually kind of a negative one in a way, but the city's kind of, I would say, turned them into a positive, and that's dealing with vandalism. Yes. And unfortunately, this happens in pretty much every community out there at different times. You see vandalism mm -hmm. in different ways. And that's one of the downsides that some cities that have done public art or different kind of art installations have had to deal with. Yeah, Jill from um, Marion kind of talked about this with their project, and we'll listen to what she has to say, and then we'll talk about what the communities 
um, have done about it because the communities that encountered this definitely handled them in very different ways. And I think that that's interesting too. So let's take a listen to what um, Jill, she was, she was with the Chamber of Commerce and Marion had to say about their situation. One thing that people would need to be, cities would need to be aware of and have a plan for is, you know, anytime that you install something beautiful, it's probably going to get damaged or vandalized at some <laughs> point. And we did have some of that. Um, so we have a camera system installed and um, the artist came back and she was able to fix the, um, the damage. So that's what Marion did. They had someone who put graffiti over uh, their main painting in their art installation. It was the only painted art installation. All of the other ones are actual physical things. And the artist came back and, and they redid it and they installed some really visible cameras in the alley and haven't had an issue since. But Lisbon also had damage to their solar panels, um, to their ground. They had a ground installation by the water tower. And it appears that maybe some kids used it like a slide. <laughs> um, which is not recommended and not healthy for the solar panels. And the way they handled it was super different. Every year, Marion has a movie in the park, and they decided to play the Lorax, which is a movie based off a Dr. Seuss book that kind of talks about being kind to your community and your environment. And then they had someone from the solar company that they use come and talk about what the panels are, why they have them, how it saves the community money, again, tying it back to what they're going to get because of it. Um, and it was just a really great oppor educational opportunity for the kids and the adults. Um, and anyone who has kids can tell you that when your kids learn something, they definitely bring it home to you and share it with you. And so um, so that's how they handled it. Two very different things. And they haven't had an issue since either. So two super different approaches, both really effective in their communities um, and have, have turned out well. So. Yeah. I mean, it's something I think every city has to prepare for. I'm not, mm -hmm. we're not sharing anything new to most city officials. No, this is some stuff you deal with in your parks and your public facilities and whatnot. But approaching that in a thoughtful manner mm -hmm. is really important to yes. deal with it and, and hopefully prevent it happening in yeah. the future. And one of the things Marion said is that, especially as the traffic has picked up, they feel like there would be even less issues because there would be a harder time right. doing something like that when you have a space that's being really used and really frequented by a lot of people. So, yeah. The yeah. other theme um, that, that we saw in these was maybe pretty obvious as you guys were listening, but public art or quality of life projects, I think, are something that cities are always trying to do and um, were really highlighted here. And obviously Marion's and Bondurant's were very obviously, you know, quality of life with their public art project. And But I think that Lisbon's really falls into this category too. Um, and talking with uh, Connie Meyer, she's again the city administrator there. I think she really spoke to that and kind of their motivation and why their council was so on board so quickly and why they're so passionate about it. And let's just hear what she has to say. We're, we've, we've decided to prepare for the future and prepare for our children and grandchildren. So it's not what can we do today, what can we do today that will help out the future. So I think we're seeing more and more of this, that even as budgets stretch, cities are finding really creative ways to enhance their community. And maybe it's through partnerships or things that are helping their cities um, prepare, for, prepare for the future. Um, and actually partnerships is that last theme that, that we mm -hmm. saw. And not just in these, but I've been with the league for almost a decade now and have been seeing these All-Star Community Award projects for that same amount of time. And I think that every project that is really successful in their community has a big element of either community involvement or partnership with someone else. That's right. In I their think community. Talking, mm -hmm. if you talk to city officials all around the state, 
quality of life is at the tip of everybody's tongue. Mm -hmm. And these projects certainly speak to that. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of things that you cannot do as a city. It's just out of your control. Mm -hmm. But one of the things you can control is a lot of stuff that you do in, in terms of quality of life, your parks, your recreation, your art. Mm -hmm different cultural amenities. And the things that you can't do, those partnerships are super duper important. Marion was talking, when I was talking with, with those people, this was a huge project with the Chamber of Congress that the city couldn't have accomplished on their own and the Chamber couldn't have accomplished on their own, but they were very important to both entities and they kind of attribute that um, really great relationship to the fact that they share office space. <laughs> they share office space. They're in the same building, so they have to have an awesome right. working relationship and communication. And so they're always going back and forth and saying, "We know this is coming. How can we help each other through these challenges?" But um, yeah, I mean, that's I think something else you hear a lot of people talk about is the way city budgets have gone over the last five, ten years, and they continue to get tight, tighter and tighter you have to develop yeah. partnerships and you have to involve your community to get things done. And that's just the way it is. And fortunately, a lot of cities have adapted mm -hmm. and become more innovative, more creative, and they've brought in different types of people, different types of groups to get these really important community service and community projects done. Yeah, well, I this also came up in Bondurant. Um, like I mentioned, they have the community foundation that did theirs. And Brian Losey was one of the people that I talked to. He's on the council. He is also on the city council. He's also was on that Parks and Rec uh, board that, that did this project. Um, and that was one of the ad pieces of advice that he had for communities. Let's take a listen to what Doing he had to say. Doing a project like this, it can't be done within the city itself. Um, it's just too time, time intensive to really get this off the ground. And, um, and, and to do the fundraising and to do all those things so going back to those those charitable organizations that, that are in town that can, can take the ball and roll with it so as we kept talking about this and just the importance of those partnerships Karen Hudson she isn't a council member like the other two I talked to there she uh, was just the she was just on that committee and she was the chair of that committee so she spent a lot of time on it um, but she had some good advice for communities. Theirs was with this foundation. They incorporated the schools. They incorporated the city. But she had some good advice for cities as they look at partnerships in their community. For other cities, you should play to your strengths and find whatever other people in your community are already good at and then pick a project that's going to be able to um, spark interest with the people that are there. And so this may seem like really obvious advice, I think, for the people in the room who were listening to her at the time, like, Let's do what is interesting to your city. And in Bondurant, that really is art. And they have, it's a huge part of their curriculum and their public schools. And, um, but maybe that's not for your community. And so, you know, what is that? I think that that's a really key to any city project is knowing, you know, what is your community passionate about? And going back to our last podcast on home rule, that's one of the things that allows you to have cities that are unique and different and, and handle things differently. So. That's right. You go from city to city, even two cities same size 10 miles apart they could be very different mm -hmm. in what they do what services they provide what kind of priorities they have as a council as a community and that's great that's home rule but you have to be responsive to your citizens and the only way you can really do that is if you bring them into the conversation mm -hmm. and build those partnerships and build those coalitions and 
that is how you know what you need to do and then you can go get it done. Mm -hmm. And every city also that, that I talked to this year sort of said how once you have one project and you get that excitement, it's a lot easier to keep talking about other ones. So if your community is constantly doing things and getting that feedback and having those conversations about something, um, it's a lot easier to keep having those conversations. You just got to get them started. Yeah. Well, again, these are just a few of the great stories mm -hmm. from so many wonderful community projects that have going on right now and in, if your city is interested again if, in becoming an all-star award winner and applying for that project we can take those applications right now right now yeah and get started for the next process and you can see what the other cities have done so go on facebook and and vote and look at their photos but you can also go on our website and read their applications and see what they did and um you can get even more information that that might be helpful to their city before we close this out mickey i do have one final clip that i wanted to share um, and it's from Karen Hudson and Bondurant. She, like I said, was the chair of the committee that spearheaded their project. Um, and it was towards the end of the conversation, I asked all of them, what does this mean to you? And Karen had a really, um, a really, I, for me, a very inspiring answer, so. Well, you know, I drive past the, the, um, the park all the time and, you know, it's always interesting to see um, how much more the landscaping has grown in and how it changes over time mm -hmm. and just being able to see the progress that you make and feel like you've made a visible impact on the community. Um, something that I'm reminded of every day I go past and you know my kids and I will um, bike out there and they'll tell me, Mommy, this park is so great. You did a good job on it. And <laughs> it just makes me feel good that they recognize that the time that I spent away from them sometimes to get this completed is something that they recognize as something that was worthwhile. So Karen was obviously talking about her family and her project, but I think it's important for all elected officials and city staff and community volunteers to hear that when you spend those evenings at council meetings or committee meetings or whatever, it means that, you know, someone else is doing bath time and bedtime or dinner or whatever it is mm -hmm. in your house is, is picking up that slack. And so um, for her, it was really cool to hear that her kids appreciated that. And I think that I think it's also important for all of the listeners to this episode on this podcast to hear that you are doing great work in your communities, that your kids or your neighbor's kids or your neighbors um, appreciate that and that you are making a difference. So I wanted to be sure to share that yeah. because, you know, from the league, we say thank you for that. And people might not tell you that, but it is a good and you are doing good and important and appreciated work in your communities. So that's right. Public service is rarely easy, but almost always rewarding. So you gotta continue to do it, and we do thank our three winners for everything mm -hmm. they've been doing, the other applicants, and, and every other city out there that's, we know you're working so hard to bring those services to your cities, your, your citizens, and it's challenging, but we need it, and they need it, so continue to keep up that great work. Yes, keep it up. Okay, so I think we are gonna move on to our final segment here. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> and that is our monthly trivia. So last month, our trivia question was, by what percentage did the Home Rule Amendment to the Iowa Constitution pass? And we had some responses on this. We do have somebody who nailed it to AT. Now, yes. I'm wondering how they came about this because they even I had the like exact percentage. I feel she might have cheated, <laughs> but I'm not going to call her a cheater. She maybe just did some really good research. We'll go with it's that. Excellent research. Yes. And Lisa Hansen is yes. our winner. 
and she got the margin exactly right, a 31%. She even put in the, the change, 31.02%. 31.02% margin. That's right. Yep. The impressive thing about that, we've talked about this in the office a little bit in, in some of our Cityscape articles, is the amendment passed in 1968 was 65% support. Or as Lisa said, 65.51% of the <laughs> That's vote. That's right. Don't leave out those uh, <laughs> few people there. So 65%, it's hard to think of something in today's uh, political climate that a public referendum, whether it's at the city level, statewide, that would pass with that kind of support. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's truly uh, enlightening to that time um, that people would get behind it in such big numbers mm -hmm. to make a big change. It's a big change to go from uh, a, a, a form of government where the state really controlled cities and counties uh, and there was really no local control to a complete flip of that where local governments could have the ability to control things locally with home rule. Yeah, and I think 50 years later, it's hard to imagine what cities would look like without it. And, you know, the people who did it obviously had some great vision and were really thankful that they that they put in that effort. That's right. So, so do you want to hear what next month's trivia question is going to be? It's a little more complicated. Um, and will be just as easy to cheat on, but <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay. You could okay. probably even use the league's website. Yes, the league's this. website might help you find the answer to this. So the next trivia question is: How many cities in Iowa fall into each of the population category breakdowns of the All Star Community Award? So as we talked about those today, how many cities in Iowa have fewer than three thousand in population? How many have greater than 10,000 in population? And how many kind of fall in between those? So you can email us your answers, post them on Facebook. Yep. But maybe we'll have someone who gets it exactly right. Maybe Lisa will know this one too. <laughs> That's right. Well, good luck to everyone on that one. I'm sure you can come up with the right answers. You may even be able to bug us for a little help on that. We're here to help you. <laughs> so until then... We will talk to you soon. Yes, we'll see you at the League's annual conference between now and our next episode. All right, thank you. Thanks, goodbye.